Well, we're currently in Advent. Uh, this is the time of year when we look back at Jesus' first coming, look ahead at his second coming. And I've entitled this sermon series, Waiting for God. As one of the themes of Advent is waiting, waiting for the Messiah to come and then waiting for Jesus to return. And so what I'm doing these four weeks is looking at the different times in the biblical story where the people of God were waiting. Looks first at Abraham and Sarai waiting for the child of promise and what that had to teach us about waiting on God's timing and God's blessing and not trying to manufacture it ourselves. Last week, we looked at uh, waiting for the resurrection and how the disciples were crushed after Jesus' death and how God brings times of hope and times of hopelessness. This morning, the sermon is entitled Waiting for the Spirit. We're going to look at the time between the resurrection and ascension to heaven to the time when the disciples were waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And my hope is that we'll learn this morning about what it means to be filled with God's Spirit. So let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Jesus has risen from the dead. He's about to leave them to go up into heaven. He tells them, wait, wait here in Jerusalem until I baptize you with the Holy Spirit, until you are filled with the Spirit. He says, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses to what I have done. And so the disciples gather together in this upper room to pray and to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then this happens in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? 
Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So the disciples are waiting in the upper room, and then on the day of Pentecost, which is a feast that the Israelites celebrated, called the Feast of Weeks, it was a first fruits of the harvest they'd bring to this festival. It was also a reminder of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. On that day, God chooses to pour out his Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other languages, declaring the wonders of God to those who are gathered. And about 3,000 come to faith in Jesus that day, and the church is born. Now, again, remember, in Acts 1, what did Jesus say? He said, wait, right? Wait in Jerusalem until I give you the Holy Spirit. And you can imagine, maybe in their enthusiasm of Jesus having risen from the dead, what if they had decided, you know what? I can't wait anymore. Let's go out and just tell everyone about Jesus, that he rose from the dead. You know, maybe a few people would have been enthusiastic and wanted to join them in whatever it was they were doing, but they would have had absolutely no spiritual power for what they were doing. They wouldn't have had the power to see hearts changed and convicted of sin and brought to faith in Jesus, brought to new life in Christ. They wouldn't have had the power they had to heal all of the things that they had because they had to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. If they had just gone all ahead of themselves in their own flesh, doing their own thing in their own power, nothing of spiritual significance would have ever happened. I worry about that for myself. I worry about that for our church. It's one of those things that's haunted me a little over this past year as I look back at being the pastor of this church for 15 years and wonder, how do I know? Have I been doing things in my own power, in my own strength? Have I been led by the Spirit? Have I been doing things? Have we been doing things empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit? Or have we just been doing things that we think are good ideas to us? I don't yet have the answer to that, but I do wonder that. I do wonder just how much of my life, how much of our life as a church has been led by the Holy Spirit. Because my desire is that we would be led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit. That the things we do would be empowered by God, individually and collectively. I hope that's your goal as well, your hope as well. That we would not just get to the end of our lives and God would say, great, you know, look, look at all the things you did in your own power. When you could have tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit that is within you. So I want to just look at this passage and talk a little bit this morning. About what does it mean? How do we be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? to be filled by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. And just in case you're not familiar with the term the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And the Trinity, if you're unfamiliar, it's, you can kind of summarize it with these three statements, that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That each person is fully God. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. And that there is one God. One God and three persons. It is a mystery to our brains to try to wrap our heads around, but that is the witness of scriptures, that you have the Father who is God. And then Jesus shows up, and it's clear that he is also God, but he is distinct from the Father. And then you have the Holy Spirit poured out, and it's clear that the Holy Spirit is also God, but distinct from the Father and the Son. And so the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and there's many, many 
things that the Holy Spirit does that I just want to focus on two this morning. I mean, the Holy Spirit reveals God to us. The Holy Spirit's a seal marking that we belong to God. It's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance on that day. The Holy Spirit unifies the people of God. It convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit comforts people. There's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit does. But the two I want to focus on this morning is that the Holy Spirit empowers us and the Holy Spirit purifies us. Those seem to be two of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit, to empower God's people and to purify God's people. Let me read Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. This is a prophecy way back about the gift of the Holy Spirit that would come, where the Father said this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I'm going to put a, a new spirit in you, this Holy Spirit I'm going to put in you, and it's going to empower you to be able to follow me. Empower you where in the past they couldn't in their own strength fulfill what God had called them to do. Now he says, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you so that you have the strength, the power of God within you to be able to follow me, to know me, to serve me. The Spirit transforms people from spiritually dead, unresponsive people to God to people who are filled, enlightened, encouraged by the Spirit of God to be able to know and follow Him and do things of spiritual significance. Think of Paul's example in 1 Corinthians 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Okay, this is one of the most influential men who's ever lived, right? Changed the world as we know it. And this is what he confesses here. Listen, I came in weakness, fear, trembling, It really wasn't about my natural abilities. It was about the Holy Spirit's power within me. That is what worked through me to transform lives, to change this world. It wasn't me. It was the power of God within me. It's what the Spirit does, empowers. He gives us spiritual gifts to empower us, to transform lives. Think of 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 and 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Notice, again, part of the empowering gift of the Holy Spirit, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, is that he gives each of us spiritual gifts and abilities that can change people's lives in a way that we can't on our own. And notice, again, this whole concept of being empowered by the Spirit is not so that you can be some sort of superhero, right, doing like super heroic things. It's so that you can be empowered to serve others, to change lives, to have a spiritual everlasting eternal impact on others and on this world. That's the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit also purifies The Spirit also purifies. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. As the Holy Spirit purifies us, we see God more clearly. Galatians 5, 
22 to 25 gives us an idea of what the Spirit does and how it, what it looks like when we've been purified by the Spirit. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is the impact that the purifying work of the Spirit has. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When I talk about being made pure, I'm not talking about becoming some self-righteous, uptight person. I'm talking about becoming a person like this. That as the Holy Spirit works in us, not just empowering us, but purifying us, we become a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I hope that is something you would like to see more in your life and the lives of those around you, that that is who I would be. That is what the purifying work of the Holy Spirit does in us. So that the Holy Spirit empowers us by the power of God. The Holy Spirit purifies us. So how do we become filled with the Spirit? How do we become someone who is full of God's Spirit? Are we supposed to follow the example of the disciples at Pentecost, just kind of gathering in a room and waiting and waiting and waiting until God pours out a Spirit from above? No, I don't think it's necessarily exactly like that, right? Pentecost was not given to us as a model to follow. It was a specific moment in salvation history, right, where the Holy Spirit was given to believers. Previously, before Pentecost... The Holy Spirit did not live in every individual believer. I don't know if you're aware of that. But when you look through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on individuals at different times, empowering them. So it would come on Samson. It would come on Saul. It would come on David at different times. He, not it. He would come on Samson, David, Saul at different times. But the Holy Spirit did not indwell anyone until Pentecost. And on that day, God sent his Holy Spirit to indwell believers. So we are in a whole new covenant now, a whole new realm where God lives in every believer by his Holy Spirit. So it's not that we have to, like Pentecost, gather together in a room and beckon down and wait for that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. Remember what Jesus said in John 14. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Clearly, See what he says. The Holy Spirit will be with you and live in you. So if we were to gather together saying, God, you know, send your spirit, the Holy Spirit would like be inside of us being like, I'm right here. I'm right here. You don't need to be trying to beckon me down from somewhere. I live inside you. So how do we become more filled with the spirit? Again, I don't know if any of you come from Pentecostal backgrounds, but maybe you're familiar with the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that there are some Pentecostal denominations where there's salvation, right? And then there's a second thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where there's going to be a, a kind of a second level of Christian who's experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, my understanding of the Bible is that's not what's taught in the Bible, that there isn't some secondary level. You don't see Paul, you don't see Peter, you don't see Jesus encouraging people, hey, you need to go be baptized by the Holy Spirit. There's a more biblical way of understanding it. And I would say it's this, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you become filled with the Spirit? First and foremost, I would say it's this, surrender everything to God. 
when you think about it, if God wants to give you, if someone wants to give you a gift, but your hands are full clutching other things, you can't receive the gift, right? And so if you want the gift of the Holy Spirit, but you're just clutching on to everything in this world, you're not going to receive the Holy Spirit. There is an emptying, a surrendering that has to happen in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, Paul puts it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is full of a lot of things to meditate on. Isn't that that whole passage there? Saying, first of all, it's about surrender, offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God, surrendering your desire, surrendering your wants, surrendering everything that is yours. You want to be filled with the Spirit? You want to experience that empowering, purifying work of God? It starts with surrender. It starts with confession. It starts with repentance of sin. It starts with trusting in Christ and not in yourself. So then you're going to know what God's will is. When you stop being conformed to the pattern of this world. Think of Ephesians 5, gives us one example, 5, 15 to 18. Paul writes, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he contrasts there being filled with wine, which leads to debauchery, and being filled with the Spirit that leads to the fruit of the Spirit. Again, how do you get filled with the Spirit? It begins with surrendering. It begins with emptying. It begins with not filling yourself up with the things of this world, but surrendering everything to God. It's just an easy one, two, three, isn't it? It's going to be like, right? It's that easy. Just, just, it's that simple. Just surrender, right? I know. This is a lifetime. This is a lifetime of discipleship. But as I've said, this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit here, it's, you could think of it, again, as a balloon. That's a great analogy to think of being filled with the Spirit, that a balloon that's this big, filled with air, is filled, but you can also blow it up so it's this big, filled with more air, right? They're both filled with the Spirit, but one is filled more and more. And that's the way it is. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but are you filled with the Spirit? Have you surrendered emptied the things that are not of him, repented of those things, confessed those things, so that he might fill you with his presence, with his Holy Spirit. Second thing is this. So surrender everything to God and then ask him to fill you with his spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, this great prayer of Paul's. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Ask him to give you his spirit. Surrender to him and ask him to give you his Holy Spirit. Look at this prayer of Paul. I'm asking that God would give you his spirit, that you might know him better that you might know the hope to which he's called you, that you might know 
the inheritance ahead of you, that you might know the power that's in you. 2 Corinthians three seventeen to 18. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. This is the prayer that we would empty ourselves, surrender ourselves, ask him to pour out his spirit. And as we spend that time seeking him, that he would transform us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Now, confession time, right? That we come so often to prayer and we've got our list of the people who need prayer. And it's, it's, it's okay, of course. We're praying for people who are sick. We're praying for people who are in need, who have financial things going on, surgery coming up, and that's okay and that's good and that's right. But when was the last time you truly cried out to God and said, God, give me more of your spirit. Lord, give me a deeper fellowship with you, a deeper relationship with you. Lord, I want a deeper joy in worship. God, give me greater power in evangelism. Do you understand? There's so much bigger things to ask for. Yes, we should pray for the day-to-day things and those who are on our heart for prayer, but we should also, more than that, ask him to give you his Holy Spirit. Ask him to give you this depth of revelation and knowledge of the Father. Ask him to give you an understanding of the power that is within you for a deeper joy, for deeper peace, all of these things. Sometimes we are so just apathetic in our prayer, aren't we? And here is Paul just saying, do you not see what is available to you? Do you not understand that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of you? Do you not understand what you have access to every day? That it's not about hoping that the Spirit comes down and visits you, but that the Spirit already lives inside of you. And that if you would be willing to surrender and trust and give up and lay down and ask him that he would fill you, that he would empower you, that he would purify you, that he would transform you. Do you believe that? Our prayer lives are so lazy, so small. Why not ask for more? Why not seek him for more of him? Surrender everything to God. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. It's such a simple outline, yet I know it, 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 it takes a great deal of trust. It takes a great deal of faith to surrender, to ask him. And then the third, of course, is just this, walk in obedience to the spirit. Walk in obedience to the spirit. Yes, we could ask him to fill us, but then what do you do with that filling? Do you follow him or not? Romans 8, 5 through 9, Paul writes, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. 
So how are you to be led by the Spirit? What does it look like to be someone who's led by the Holy Spirit? To walk with the Spirit and not walk according to the flesh. What does that look like? I can imagine that for many of you, maybe there's a continuum of responses to that. You know, some of you on this extreme might feel like, well, I probably need to check in with God every second, right? To be led by the Spirit means, God, should I have the frosted flakes or the Fruit Loops for breakfast, you know? Should I wear the blue shirt or the white shirt? Should I take a right or a left here? Should, I mean, on the one extreme, does that, is that what it means to be led by God, is to be in every single decision you make, asking him his opinion and what you should do? Or on the other extreme, does it mean, you know what, I'm just going to do what I think is right and what I think is best and just ask him to bless it and call it being led by the Spirit? There's got to be something in the middle of that, right? Because we can't ask God for every single answer of every single decision, but just saying we're going to do whatever we want and ask God to bless it doesn't seem to be led by the Spirit either. So what does it look like to be led by the Spirit? My best understanding as I read the Bible is this, that God's usual method of leading us by the Holy Spirit is to transform us into holier and wiser people as we spend time with him, as we spend time with Jesus, he transforms us more and more into people who are holy, who are wise, who make decisions that are led by the Spirit, as opposed to looking for all kinds of techniques. For example, some of the most common ones you may have heard of are these. How about this? Searching for impressions or feelings, right? God, what do you want me to do? And then you're like trying to tune in like, Okay, I think, I, think, I think God's impressing me this way. I'm think, I think I'm feeling this way. It's a very subjective approach, isn't it, to God's will? Very subjective approach to being led by the Spirit, to kind of go by your gut, what your gut's telling you. How about listening for the still, small voice? Anyone ever heard that one? I mean, that comes from one passage in Scripture where Elijah, you know, God was not in the earthquake. He wasn't in the, all of those things. He was in this still, small voice. And we've taken that and turned it into a whole theology about how we become someone led by the Spirit as we're listening for the still, small voice. But again, how do you know that still, small voice isn't just your own head, you know, your own mind versus God's voice? Praying for peace. How about that one? You know what? I'm not going to move forward until I have peace on this. But again, is that really what God's Word teaches? Do you think Jesus had peace when he was sweating blood in Gethsemane going to the cross. You know, you think he was like, I don't have peace about this one. Maybe I shouldn't go to the cross. He's sweating blood. He did not have peace, but he knew it was what God had called to do him despite not feeling peace. The feeling of peace is not always, you know, a sign that God is leading you. What about open doors? Ever did that? Ever pray, you know, if God opens the door, then I'm going. But if he closes the door, then it's not of him. Open doors is not always a biblically sound way of figuring things out. And in 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13, you have an example of Paul. I think, did I put this one here or not? No. Uh, where he says, you know, I, I went to Troas to preach the gospel and I found the Lord had opened a door for me, but I had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and I went on to Macedonia. And he says, I had an open door there, but I didn't feel the peace of mind because my friend was not there. So I went somewhere else. What about Jonah, right? What if Jonah was like, hey, the Lord has opened a door here by providing a boat that's going to Tarshish. This must be God's calling to go there. No, God had called him to go to Nineveh. Just because there was an open door of a boat didn't mean he was supposed to go in the other direction. 
What if the Israelites, when they came to the Jordan River, said, well, that's the closed door, you know? We've got to turn around and go back to Egypt. What about the parable that Jesus teaches of the persistent widow who has the closed door from the judge, but she keeps persisting and knocking, and God says, and Jesus says, you know, the door will open to her. Again, open and closed doors are not biblical methods of being led by God. What about putting out the fleece that comes from the story of Gideon in Judges 6? That's more like divination. I would not encourage you to be putting things out and saying, well, if there's dew on it in the morning, you know, or metaphorically using that, that sort of approach of saying, you know, putting God to the test like that. And, of course, opening up the Bible and pointing, I would not suggest that as a method of being led by God either, you know. Should I break up with this boy or not? And then you open and point and see what God says. That's not the way it works. Again, I think my understanding is that God can use any of these means. God can speak through visions. God can speak through dreams. God can speak through all kinds of means. Typically in the Bible, though, those didn't come because people were looking for them. God just revealed himself to people who were not even looking for those things. I would say the most faithful way, the most biblically accurate way that we are led by the Spirit is that as we spend time with Jesus, as we spend time in his word, he transforms us more and more, matures us more and more to become people who are led by the Spirit. Because our mind becomes more like his mind. Our will becomes more like his will. And so the decisions we are making are more and more led by the Holy Spirit. In some ways, you might see it as an analogy of like a father or a mother with their child, right? When you send your child off to college, your expectation is not that they'd be calling you every morning, hey, mom, what do you think I should do today? Hey, mom, you know, what should I have for breakfast? Hey, mom, you know, like your hope is that you have matured them enough that they are now mature and can make decisions, wise decisions. And it's a rough analogy, but in some way, I believe God's method, ordinary method of leading us is that as we spend that time with him, he molds us and shapes us more and more into men and women of God who are led by the Spirit. And that does not mean you don't pray. It doesn't mean you don't still seek God. You don't still ask God. But more and more, it's as we spend that time with God, he is going to lead us by the Spirit as we become men and women who have more and more of his heart and his mind. Proverbs puts it this way. It says, the integrity of the upright guides them. Notice what it says, the integrity of the upright. They're guided by their integrity. As they become people of integrity and wisdom and holiness, that guides them, that leads them. That is being led by the Spirit. More than techniques, more than listening for still small voices and looking for open and closed doors and all of that. Bottom line this morning is this. Surrender. You want to be filled with the Spirit. You want to be led by the Spirit. It's simple, but it's it's. it's takes a lifetime, doesn't it? It's about a lifetime of daily surrender to God, surrendering your desire, surrendering your will, surrendering what it is you want, laying it down, confessing it, repenting of it. And then it's asking him to fill you with his spirit, to give you that empowerment, to give you that purifying. Not just praying, but praying passionately and fervently and asking him, seeking him, And then walking in obedience to him as you're led by the Spirit. Why don't you take a minute in silence and respond to the Lord, and then we'll pray together, and the worship team can come forward.
God, give us the faith and the courage to surrender everything to you. Confess our fears. We confess our lack of trust and our lack of faith in you that holds us back from surrender. We don't always believe that you have our best interest in mind. We don't always believe that you're going to give us something better than it is than what we have to give up. And we confess that to you. We pray, God, that you would please increase our faith, that we might surrender everything to you this morning and every day. And God, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us. Jesus, you said that we would do greater things than you because you're going to the Father. We have not seen that in our lives, Lord. We want that to be true, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would do what you have done in ministry to this world. And purify us, Lord. Make us men and women who bear the fruit of the Spirit, people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Pour out your Spirit, Lord, in our hearts and in this church. Lord, we do not want to be led by our own wisdom. We want to be led by your Spirit. We want this church to be filled with your Spirit. Help us to walk, Lord, in step with your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.